Continuing in Luke chapter 11, we're at verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who'd been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fail. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through and places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the Gospel of Christ. Uh, Well, thank you, uh, Wateri, and good morning, everyone. It's nice to to, uh, be with you. I'm very thankful for that prayer because my voice is not good. I've got a throat and a nose and all all those sorts of things, so nothing serious, but just... um, uh, <clears throat> enough to be a pain. <clears throat> uh, during our, we just came back a couple of weeks ago from a holiday, and during our holiday, our family went to see the Knights of the Sky exhibition in the Aviation Centre just outside Blenheim. Hands up if you've been there and seen that. A couple, not too many. <clears throat> if you haven't seen it, I can highly recommend it. I'm not someone that loves war history. I know there are some people that kind of love all that sort of stuff. I'm not one of those. But um, this is really good. Peter Jackson had quite a bit to do with it. And what it is, is it's a collection of World War I aircraft and artefacts. And um, again, if you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound great. It was <laughs> much better than it sounds. It was very good. But it made me reflect on how much war has changed. Back then, if you think about it, World War I, there were soldiers and those soldiers were all of one gender and a certain age demographic. They had uniforms on. The war was conducted uh, with a sense, uh, in a set of kind of generally agreed upon rules. Uh, there were set areas where the battle and the fighting took place. Think about today. Today, would some, some would say there's a war going on between uh, Islamic extremists in the West. If that's the case, it's a very different kind of war, isn't it? Soldiers can be anyone, certainly not dressed in uniforms. Uh, The places can be anywhere, usually the most crowded of areas. 
whether it's a Paris or a New York, very, very different. So much so that many uh, wouldn't know or perhaps wouldn't even accept that they're in a war. In World War I you knew you were in a war. Today you may not. And our passage today, as we continue to go through Luke's Gospel, which is what we've been doing, uh, (coughs) finds Jesus casting out a demon from a man, people responding to him casting a demon out, and then Jesus teaching about this sort of thing. And what we find in Jesus' teaching is that he reminds us, or perhaps we find out for the first time, that you and I are actually in a war, even though we may not think of it in that way or may not have even known it until these words that we're hearing from Jesus today. What Jesus does in his words in this passage today is he kind of pulls back the curtains of life. He exposes the matrix beyond that what we can see and hear and sense and he tells us that behind what we can sense with the physical world there's a spiritual battle going on in this world. The battle between good and evil. The battle between God and Satan, or Beelzebub. Whether we're aware of it or not, there's a battle raging on right now. And that battle involves God, the devil, you and I. Now at this point, a number of people get quite a bit confused or or slightly worried about what we're looking at today. Now I don't mind talking about Jesus, and I'm kind of happy with the golden rule, but let's not get into this fantasy stuff. Let's not talk about demons. I don't want to enter into a Harry Potter world or something like that. If you're here this morning and you're slightly worried about some of the things you heard in the reading or some of the things that I've just said, I want to say I can understand what you mean. But I want to challenge you that there's more to life than just what we sense. I want to challenge you on the truth of Jesus' words here. There are a lot of people like that, happy to have some thought of Jesus added to the natural world that we live in, but they reject the notion of a supernatural world, a, a spiritual dimension. But friends, we don't get to pick and choose on this sort of thing. The Christian worldview is bigger than just the here and now. It's bigger than just the physical and the senses and this world. You can't just tack Jesus onto a quote-unquote normal worldview. Because the Christian truth, the Christian big picture is so much greater. We believe in the supernatural. We believe in angels and demons and heaven and hell. We believe that life on this earth is not the be all and end all. There's more to it. There's much, much more. And part of that is a spiritual battle that goes on in this world between good and evil, between God and the devil. And I know that people, uh, as I just mentioned, sometimes get a bit uncomfortable with this kind of talk, but the opposite of it, I think, is more unbelievable and certainly more depressing. If If you're here today and you think this life is all that there is, just what you see and feel and hear and touch and taste, that's all that there is and there's nothing else, I think that's more unbelievable and certainly more depressing. That this life is all there is, that we're here as a fluke, a cosmic accident, just resulted in life and there's nothing more to existence than the here and now, no purpose, no meaning, no nothing. You think that yourself and your family and this world is just a fluke? I think you need more faith for that. No, there is more to this world and part of that is the spiritual battle. And one of the things we're going to do this morning is think about how this theme of good versus evil and a spiritual battle plays out in Luke's Gospel and where Jesus fits into it all. Now our passage this morning, if we can have it up, begins in verse 14, as I said, with Jesus driving out a mute demon from a man. And what Jesus does uh, is successful because the man who'd also been mute now speaks. 
And the people who saw it are amazed. This happens all the time with Jesus. He does something incredible and the people are amazed. But the rest of our verses come about because some of the witnesses that are there respond differently to what Jesus has done. And one group in particular attributes what Jesus has done to the power of Beelzebub. Now notice, and I think this is very interesting, they don't pretend Jesus didn't do it. Not even the most violent opponents to Jesus ever denied that he did these incredible things. All they could do was offer alternative options as to how he did them. Uh, Just think about that for a moment. It's worth stopping, pausing, thinking, uh, because this is a strong argument for the truth of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet made up your mind what you think of him, uh, whether you think this is a good guy or not a good guy, whether he's God or not, just stop and think about this. Not even the people trying to discredit Jesus, not even his most ardent enemies denied that he did these incredible things. They would have loved to have been able to. Any hint of fakery, they would have grabbed it. Any suggestion of dodgy deals when he was doing it, they would have seized upon it. They would have shouted it from the rooftops, but they couldn't. Too many people saw what he did. They saw with their own eyes what he did. They saw people that they knew had been disabled their whole lives or sick for years and years, healed instantly by this guy. They saw people that they knew were dead, raised back to life by this guy. It was all above board, seen with their own eyes, witnessed, verified. They couldn't deny it. But what we see them do is look for an alternative explanation as to how he did it. Verse 15, But some of them said, By Beelzebub, uh, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Uh, Beelzebub, there's another term for Satan, the devil. So they're saying it's the devil that's giving Jesus the power to be able to do these things. So there's one group which is saying, well, he's done this by the power of the devil. In verse 16, we see there's another group who see what he's done and then test him by asking him for a sign from heaven. You might have thought Jesus would just say, did you just see what I did? That is a sign from heaven. Um, So you've got Jesus deliver this man from a demon, then two responses. One looking for signs from heaven, and Jesus is going to respond to that in the passage that we'll look at next week. But the other response is, Jesus gets his power from the devil. And it's that that Jesus replies to in our passage and that we're going to think about. And I'm going to break it into, into two sections with two headings, and the first one comes from verses 14 to 22, verses 14 to 22, and the question is just this, what side is Jesus on? What side is Jesus on? That's what's being questioned here by these people. His integrity, his character. Is he able to do these things because of power and authority from God, or, as these accusers say, by the power of Beelzebub? And so Jesus deals with this accusation in the next few verses and he does it in a couple of ways. Firstly, he kind of uses logic against them. Look at his words in verse 17. He says to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can this kingdom stand? I say this because you claim I drove out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Do you see what he's saying there? Jesus points out something that we all know is true, that a divided house destroys itself. Uh, Have a look at the um, Republican Party in the United States at the moment. 
Half of them lump, love Trump, lump, truv. Uh, half of them love Donald Trump, half of them loathe Donald Trump and don't want him as the candidate. It's ripping that political party apart. Uh, a few years ago when I was living in Australia, there was a, an Aussie football team, uh, the Kangaroos, where the captain and the clear star of that team slept with his best friend's wife and the best friend happened to be the vice captain of that team. You can imagine what happened within that team just absolutely corroded, fell apart. Jesus points out here, if I'm defeating demons by the devil's power, it's just a divided house, it would fall. That does not make sense. The other bit of logic he uses there is, it seems as if some of the Jews also had success with driving out demons. So he says, well if you're saying I'm doing it by Beelzebub, then your people that are doing it must also be doing it by Beelzebub. Logically, it doesn't make any sense at all that Jesus is on the side of the devil. So then in verse 20, he gives a key statement because it's here he says how he is doing it. Verse 20, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Very important statement by Jesus there. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Jesus attributes his ability to do it to the finger of God. And that phrase is a specific one and a deliberate one known by people that know the Old Testament. It's a phrase used right back at the beginning of the Bible uh, by the Egyptian magicians in Exodus 8. If you remember the story back then, the Israelites are enslaved by Egypt at that time and God sends Moses to let the Israelites go. And you remember Pharaoh, the Egyptian leader, refuses. He won't let the people go. And so God, through Moses, brings the ten plagues. But the interesting thing with the plagues, or one of the interesting things is, that the first two plagues, which is the river Nile turning into blood and then uh, frogs coming upon the land, the first two plagues can be replicated by the Egyptian magicians. They too can do it. Moses does it, but then the Egyptian magicians can do it. I'm not totally sure why that's a good thing. Can you imagine the Egyptian magicians coming up to the pharaoh and going, the good news is, boss, we can make more frogs. Great, that's the problem, right? But by the, th- by the time the third plague comes in, the ma- which is gnats, the magicians can't do it. They cannot do it at all. And so they go to the pharaoh and they say, we can't do this, and then they say, this is the finger of God. We can't do this. This is the finger of God. In other words, what they're saying is the power that's behind this, the authority that's behind this is the one true God that cannot be replicated, cannot be duplicated, cannot be substituted. Jesus says, that's the power that I'm using here. That's how I drive out demons, by the finger of God. But he says more than that because he says, if I've done it by the finger of God, which he has, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And the kingdom of God is a theme in the Gospels that's very important, but one that we can miss sometimes as Christians. One of the ways that Luke's Gospel presents Jesus, as you're thinking about who is this guy that we're reading about, one of the the key ways that Jesus is presented in the Gospels (coughs) is as the king ushering in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God simply means it's God's place running as God wants it to, the right way. And so the signs of Jesus being the king and the signs of the kingdom of God coming are that things are as they should be. So sick people are healed. Evil is defeated. 
Death is conquered. All the things that will be perfectly done in the new creation when God's kingdom comes finally and fully, we get a taste of when Jesus comes bringing the the kingdom partly. The battle with evil is a key part of this, you see. We see Jesus defeating evil all the way through the Gospels. See Jesus tempted by the devil three times but will not give in. And so there's this battle between Jesus and evil all the way through. The devil's described in the Bible as a murderer from the beginning, whereas Jesus is the life giver. The devil is described as the father of lies, whereas Jesus is described as the truth. The devil is described as the great tempter. Jesus is the one who by uh, not succumbing to that temptation will bring salvation. Jesus is the one battling evil all the way through the Gospels. From verses 21 to 22, he's the stronger man that defeats the strong man. The strong man in that little parable is the devil. He's the stronger one who defeats him. And one of the key uh, images of what the Gospel of Jesus Christ is, and I want you to to know this, because we don't talk about it too much sometimes in these circles or evangelical circles. One of the key aspects of the Gospel of Jesus is that evil is defeated that people are snatched out of the power of Satan and brought into the kingdom of God. Satan's power is real in this world. You're either under it or under the power of God. A good way to see that, if you're not convinced by that or you think I'm I'm kind of overstretching it or stating it too, too much, in Acts chapter 26, you've got the Apostle Paul, the great apostle who's bringing the gospel to the world. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul is talking about how he first became a Christian. And we know that story from Acts chapter 9. It's when he's on the road to Damascus and he meets Jesus, Jesus who's died, risen and ascended back to heaven. But he meets with Jesus and Jesus gives him his mission. And in Acts 26, Paul quotes what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus when he became a Christian and when he was given this mission. And this is what he quotes Jesus saying to him. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, Saul. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And then listen to his mission. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you see what Jesus says to to Paul there? Part of the central aspect of the gospel ministry, the gospel that you and I live and believe, part of the Christian belief is the power of Satan being defeated and people moving from darkness to light and from death to life. Jesus says... What side am I on? I'm on this side. I'm on the side defeating evil. Not only is he on that side, he's the key guy. He's the king bringing in the kingdom. Friends, you and I still live in a world full of evil. We still live as fallen people with kind of evil within us. Now there's a sense that evil has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross, but it won't be finally and fully experienced for you and I until the new creation. It still exists, it still destroys and it will continue to do so until Jesus returns with his kingdom finally and fully. That's the awful experience that you and I still live in in this world. But be encouraged, it's been defeated on the cross and one day that will be fully fully realised. This world so full of evil will not last forever. 
the evil from the devil, the evil in our own hearts will not continue always. The evil that causes such hurt and pain and destruction will end. Because the good thing about this battle, this war is, spoiler alert, the end's not in doubt. Jesus wins, just so you know. The evil that makes you and I suffer and pulls you and I away from the Lord has been beaten by Jesus, will be beaten by Jesus. So what side is he on? That's the question that these people were asking him. The Lord's side. And it's the winning side. So that's what side Jesus is on. Secondly, in the remaining verses, I want to challenge you with another question. And that question is, what side are you on? Verse 23, the next words of Jesus are very, very confronting. He says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus says there's no neutral when it comes to him. You're either with him or you're against him. Do you see that? It's very strong. You have to pick a side. You can't be neutral when it comes to Jesus. You can't be like Switzerland. Switzerland is the neutral, one of the neutral countries. God doesn't like Switzerland. No, no I shouldn't say that. <clears throat> Uh, God doesn't like neutrality in this sense. I'm not having a go at Switzerland, sorry. He says, you're either with me or against me. Now, I'll come back to that in a moment, but Jesus goes on to say some things that people really can find confusing, but uh, I think it's really just following on from this point. He's saying that neutrality is no good. He's saying that being empty is no good. You need to be full. It's not just good enough to be neutral. So he goes on to say, verse 24, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. That's the person he left. When it arrives, it finds the house, that's the person, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Now, a lot of people kind of think this is a big teaching on spirits and how spirits, but it's not. It's just a parable that Jesus is telling to give a main point. Do you see the beginning of these verses, verse 24? When an evil spirit. That's the same as the beginning of his first parable about the strong man in verse 21. When a strong man. He's using two parables to uh, to illustrate a point. And his point is, do you see in these verses, that neutral, empty, is not enough. Otherwise, empty can be filled up again by evil. The Jewish people who'd been driving out demons presumably left people empty, neutral. That's not enough. What Jesus is teaching here is you and I can't beat evil alone. We can't do it. Nature abhors a vacuum, goes the old saying. And apparently what is true of nature is also true in the spiritual world. The thing that Jesus doesn't say here, but we know from the rest of the New Testament, and I don't think it's wrong to fit it in here, is that what a person needs is not just neutral, not just empty, is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. What a person needs is to trust in the Lord Jesus, the stronger man, and then a Christian, when you trust in Jesus, has the Holy Spirit. So you're not empty anymore, you have the Spirit of God within you. You have the the stronger man within you. And if we're his, if we have the Spirit, as every Christian does then we can never be forced to do evil. We can never be under the power of demons. We can be tempted, yes. And sadly, you and I can succumb to that, yes, but we can never be pushed round. The danger is neutral or empty. 
But if you're trusting in the Lord, with the Lord Jesus, if you've got the Holy Spirit, there is no pushing around in that way. So I want to ask you this morning the question that I just did before, whose side are you on? And I want to challenge you on this hard because Jesus speaks strongly here. There can be no mucking around, no tomato, tomato. You're either with him or against him, he says. A vaguely positive feeling towards Jesus is not enough. The Lord doesn't value lukewarm. The book of Revelation tells us that. Spits out lukewarm. You're either with him or against him. You and I can be neutral about lots of things in this world. I had to go to Switzerland before, I shouldn't have. I'm not saying we can be neutral about lots of things in this world. You can be neutral on a number of things in the Christian life, but Jesus says you can't be neutral on him. Whose side are you on? Do you have a bet each way? You behave one way on a Sunday when you're at church and quite a different way the rest of the week. Jesus is saying here we need to be committed. There's no room for compromise here. We, want, uh, we, we all want evil gone, but only Jesus can do it, he says here, and it's not enough for us to long for it to go. We need to be with Jesus. You and I need to draw lines, especially if we haven't done already. We need to pick a side. And when I speak on this, I, I kind of speak uh, personally in a way because I know that I lived a double life for quite a while when I first became a Christian. I wasn't prepared to commit myself to it fully because I knew what it would mean. I knew it would mean certain changes in life that I wasn't ready to make. I knew it would mean, mean changes in direction that at that point I wasn't willing to make. And I was pretty positive to Jesus by then, but I wasn't with him. You can't do that with Jesus. If you're not with him, you're against him. And that's not fair to Jesus either because he's fully committed to you. He doesn't just have vague, positive feelings towards you. He went to the cross and took the wrath of God so that you and I can be saved. He's fully committed. That's someone you want to be with. He who's not with me, he says, is against me. There's a movie, um, Night and Day, which some of you may have seen, uh, with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. And in the movie... Cameron Diaz early on has, has met Tom Cruise and, and doesn't yet know who he is. He's a kind of super spy but he comes across as a bit quirky and she doesn't know whether she can trust him. But they're, they're being shot at. People are trying to kill them. And she's thinking, I need to get away from this guy because I think he might be a nutcase. But he's not, but she's worried about it. But he tells her, stick with me and you'll be alright. If you stick with me, the chances of you being saved in this are much better than if you're away. And in some of the most memorable lines in the movie, he says, your chances of living are much better with me than without me. With me, without me. With me, without me. With me, without me. We need to be with Jesus. And the without him is nowhere. Because we're under the power of evil. And the only answer to evil is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you today about whose side you're on. Truly. Not just lip service, but evidenced in your life. Not just church attendance, but lived out for the rest of the week. Not just neutral, but positive. He sets the agenda for your life. He sets the tone and the content for your life. Whose side are you on? Are you with him? I really pray this morning that some of you know you need to make a decision. You've been having a foot in two boats for too long. And that seems okay for a bit, 
But we've seen from Jesus here, if you're not with him in one boat, you're against him. You've got to make a call. It's too important not to. You and I, friends, whether we know it or not, are involved in a war, a spiritual battle. Thankfully, it's not a battle where the outcome's unknown or where the outcome is in the balance. Good wins. God wins. Jesus the King, the stronger man, wins. But you and I need to be on his side with him. And I pray that we will be. Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, passage from your word which shows us so clearly the strength of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in his kingdom, rights, uh, <coughs> everything's put to rights. Sickness healed, death conquered, evil defeated. And we thank you that one day uh, we will live with you and in, in your kingdom fully realised. But for now, Father, I pray for every single one of us in this room this morning that we would be with you not against you. And I pray particularly for any of my brothers and sisters here this morning who are a bit like I was a number of years ago, uh, kind of positive towards Jesus but not fully with him. Father, help us commit ourselves to be with you, on your side, the one who defeats Satan, evil, and brings light and life to people. And Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.